Hey, this is Brad. We're off today, but please enjoy this encore presentation of the Bradcast. What does the bamboo, why, why do you check for bamboo? Because they use bamboo in their paper processing. Who's they? Uh, people in Southeast Asia. So that you feel like... That's 40, what they say. 40,000 ballots have been... Yeah, I don't believe any of that. Okay. I'm just saying that is part of the mystery that we want to ungaslight people Un about. Gaslight. This is the way to do this it. Is part of what you're looking at. Well, I'm not. They are. Wow. I'm here as an observer and a professional in elections for the last 17 years. Is it that difficult? Is it that difficult to play that part of the quote? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I guess it is. I got the feeling that something right. Apparently, if you meet the I'm press, so anyway. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. We're going to be talking about New Hampshire quite a bit, I suspect, over the next few days, weeks. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast -coast and around the globe for you every day on the internet on the internets for your convenience on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We will start with, uh, we'll start with the good news. Everything is, you know, downhill from there as usual, but over the weekend... A Chinese-made rocket fell out of orbit and back to planet Earth, falling into the Indian Ocean somewhere near the Maldives and didn't kill anyone. So that's good news, right? Yeah, See? I'll take it. See? See? We got to take what we can work with. Desi Doyen, how you doing? You doing okay? I am doing fine. It brought back fond memories of Skylab falling to the sky. Yes, way, I remember way, way, that. Way, many decades ago. Yes, I remember going to summer school that year wearing a, a hockey helmet to class as we were... You know, just being careful. You had a teacher with a good sense of humor. I did, yes. A uh, little known fact, by the way, all Chinese rockets are made of bamboo fiber. Did you know that? <laughs> because I don't, you may have heard everything from China is made from bamboo 
or something. That snark, of course, is courtesy of our uh, recent in-depth coverage of the ridiculous, non-transparent so-called forensic audit being carried out by right-wing conspiracy theorists in Maricopa County, Phoenix, Arizona, who are looking uh, for bamboo fibers in ballot paper, among other things, on the premise that that must mean China somehow stuffed the ballot box in Phoenix, which we reported, by the way, over two weeks ago on the broadcast. But only last week did the rest of the nation apparently hear about the search for the bamboo fibers due to an out-of-context comment posted to Twitter by CBS5 in, uh, in Arizona, which has still not been taken down, even though... It has allowed the lazy corporate media around the country to misrepresent the guy who said it, a longtime Democratic election and Democratic election integrity expert, John Brakey, who we had on the show about two weeks ago to discuss what he was seeing inside the audit at the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Uh, they've been uh, misrepresenting John Brakey, a longtime Democrat, as a QAnon-loving right-wing activist, which he is not. I hope to have uh, much more on this a bit later in the program. Uh, and if you missed our Friday broadcast on the not-ridiculous post-election audit that is about to get underway this week in Wyndham, New Hampshire, that one is not ridiculous because, among other reasons— there is actually a cause for concern in the 2020 votes there in a state representative's race regarding about 400 mistallied votes on the town's old, really old, Diebold optical scan system. Uh, and this particular audit, unlike the one in Phoenix, is actually being carried out by people with actual post-election audit and voting systems expertise. Go figure. Top shelf experts, in fact as opposed to the so-called cyber ninja clowns faking their way through the Phoenix audit of the presidential race, which Joe Biden was certified to have won by about 10,000 votes last November. In any event, uh, I'm in touch with the folks in New Hampshire. I hope to have more information uh, on that uh, maybe later in the show, certainly as the week goes on. And if you have any questions about what's going on in Phoenix or what's about to happen in New Hampshire. I'll try to get to some of your calls if there's time a little bit later. You can write down the number right now. Uh, it is 818-985-5735. But first up today, I want to get to my excellent guest. Uh, so, you know, as has been quite clear, if you've listened to this program for even a little bit over the past several months, there is a lot... Uh, to, as we say, clean up on aisle 45. Damage that the Trump administration carried out across the board on domestic and foreign policy alike that needs to be cleaned up by the Biden administration, damage to our court systems, challenges to our constitutional representative government, and much more. Then, of course, there is all of the accountability for criminal actions taken by the former disgraced president and officials in his administration. But, of course, accountability for his own personal criminal behavior remains very slow in coming right now, even though he's been out of office for, where are we, about six months or so, I think? Um, 
you know, I don't know about uh, you, but to me, it is somewhat mad- maddening. I know it's maddening to many, including, yes, myself. I uh, still believe one of the first signs of that accountability for Donald Trump may come out of Georgia, where the Fulton County District Attorney has convened a grand jury to probe an apparently criminal conspiracy led by Donald Trump, but including folks like Rudy Giuliani and Senator Lindsey Graham and others to unlawfully encourage election officials under state law to change results of the election. That crime could result in a year in jail uh, for Donald Trump, or if conspiracy charges are added to it, as many as 20 years in jail. Um, That's just a guess that that could be the first place we see some sort of real accountability. There are, uh, as you know, ongoing investigations in New York State with the Manhattan District Attorney looking into criminal allegations regarding Trump committing bank and tax fraud. And the state attorney general there also looking at similar civil violations of the law on some of the same matters. But one of the points that has driven me crazy that seems so ridiculously obvious uh, may require the U.S. Department of Justice to take action now that Attorney General Merrick Garland is finally in place. That would be a criminal conspiracy for which Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, has already pled guilty, was convicted and served time in prison for specifically for the hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels just days before the 2016 election to keep her quiet about an alleged sexual affair that she had with Donald Trump years, years earlier. For that, Michael Cohn pleaded, uh, pleaded guilty for participating in a conspiracy, quote, directed by Donald Trump. At the time of his conviction, the Department of Justice also confirmed that Trump had, quote, directed the conspiracy that resulted in payments um, to to Michael Cohen from Donald Trump while he was serving as president to pay Michael Cohen off for the money that he had given to Stormy Daniels. Those were unlawful payments meant to repay the money that Cohen had given to Stormy Daniels at Trump's direction. But they were never reported as such. They were never reported uh, under campaign finance law. Paying her money to keep her quiet in and of itself is not a crime to my knowledge. But since it was meant to help Trump's 2016 campaign, the payments resulted in unreported campaign finance payments. This is an unlawful conspiracy directed by the president of the United States that he has still not been held accountable for, either uh, even though his own lawyer, his own lawyer went to prison for having carried out the orders that he directed in this conspiracy. But there are both criminal and civil penalties for campaign finance violations. The DOJ handles the criminal part or in this case, perhaps doesn't. We'll see. While the Federal Elections Commission oversees the civil side and determines if any fines should be levied against those who violate those laws. Now, while we await and continue to await action from the Department of Justice, that seems blindingly obvious to me, given they've already sent someone to jail for the conspiracy that they said was directed by Donald Trump. 
While we wait for that, there is also the FEC investigation of the same matter, the broken FEC, broken because it is a six-person commission with three Republicans and three Democrats, and the three Republicans appointed to it have now for many years pretty much refused to take action on anything that might adversely affect Republicans. Late last week, they did it again. As Talking Points Memo reported last week, the Federal Elections Commission announced its decision to drop an inquiry into whether Donald Trump violated campaign finance laws when his personal lawyer paid a porn actress $130,000 before the 2016 election. The decision has effectively allowed Donald Trump to squirm away from any potential legal consequences arising from the inquiry over his alleged role in the hush money scandal. I would add at least so far, and in this case, at least on the civil side of the matter. Trump's now former personal lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohen, meanwhile, was sentenced to prison in 2018 for breaking campaign finance laws. He said in a statement to The New York Times in response to the FEC's decision, quote, the hush money payment was done at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. Like me, Trump should have been found guilty. How the FEC committee could rule any other way is confounding, said Cohen. The FEC's decision to drop the case comes after its Office of General Counsel issued an internal report in December of 2020 suggesting that it had found, quote, reason to believe, unquote, that the Trump campaign had, quote, knowingly and willfully violated campaign finance law. That's the FEC's own general counsel. But during a closed-door meeting in February of this year, which we're only learning about now for some reason, the bipartisan FEC commission voted largely across party lines, with two Republican commissioners voting to dismiss the case, while, the, uh, while two Democratic commissioners voted to push it forward. There was one absence and one Republican recusal for a two-to-two tie, which means, unfortunately, the FEC drops the case. They said in a statement last week, quote, to conclude that a payment made 13 days before Election Day to hush up. Uh, I'm sorry, this is the two uh, Democratic commissioners. It's, uh, it would be that the, its chair, uh, Shanna Broussard and uh, Ellen Weintraub. They pushed back on this move to drop the case, despite the recommendations to continue the investigation. They said in their statement to conclude that a payment made 13 days before Election Day to hush up a suddenly newsworthy 10-year-old story was not campaign-related without so much as conducting an investigation defies reality, they said. The Republican commissioners, for their part, who voted not to proceed with the investigation, that would be Trey Trainer and Sean Cooksey, said that pursuing the case was, quote, not the best use of agency resources, arguing that Michael Cohen had already been punished. Yes, Cohen had been punished, but not the guy who directed the campaign finance law conspiracy. They said in their statement, the commission regularly dismisses matters where other government agents have already uh, agencies have already adequately enforced and vindicated the commission's interests. So the commission's interest was in holding the 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 lawyer accountable for what happened, as opposed to the guy who actually directed the lawyer to do what the lawyer did. 
all of which underscores the argument that I have been making here for years, and of course I'm hardly alone in this argument, that the FEC is irreconcilably broken and must be reformed. Luckily, sort of, the Democrats' H.R. 1, or the For the People Act, does call for reform of the FEC to hopefully unbreak it, but seeing that measure adopted into law is likely also going to require overcoming a bad-faith filibuster, yes, by Republicans, and frankly, uh, some lies that they are already telling about the reforms uh, offered by this sweeping election and campaign finance reform bill that has already been adopted in the U.S. House. Joining us now for some unique insight on all of this is former Federal Elections Commission Chair Ann Ravel, who was appointed by President Obama to the FEC in 2013. She served until March, or uh, I think it was March of 2017. She also previously served as chair of the powerful California Fair Political Practices Commission and is now a professor at the University of California, Berkeley School of Law. Anne Ravel, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad. Good to be here. Good. You said it all. Well, I, I, I said uh, what's going on, but I'm having trouble right. understanding why it is going on. To me, this seems about as slam dunk of a case that the FEC could ever possibly oversee in truth. And yet they voted to not do so. One one Republican member recused for some reason that I'm not clear on, and one, I guess, not Republican, I, I think he's an independent, was absent for the vote. Uh, what have you been able to learn about this particular vote, and what should we take away from this as you see it? Because all I'm taking away right now is, is outrage, Anne. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the interesting part of um, the FEC rules are that out of the six commissioners, there needs to be four votes mm -hmm. affirmative to take action. So the fact that one of them uh, recused himself and the other one was not available or was absent that day mm -hmm. uh, was irrelevant in a sense because, uh, as you said, one was a Republican and mm -hmm. one was a uh, is an independent mm -hmm. um, who usually caucuses with the Democrats, and there would never have been four votes. Nonetheless, it so, didn't matter. Let me they, let me underscore that point, Anne, because I think it's important. Even if the one who was uh, the independent person who was not there, even if he had been there and had voted to continue the investigation, the results would have been three to two. And that's still, even though a majority of the FEC says, yes, continue the investigation, that still would not be enough to continue the investigation. That's exactly right. And you were right in what you said, that the general counsel's office mm -hmm. uh, wrote an extensive report. And what this is, and, and you mentioned that it was reason to believe that they didn't find reason to believe. Reason to believe is just a preliminary vote to require the commission to do greater investigations, such mm -hmm. as talking to the involved uh, person, uh, having an interview or the, the right of Trump mm -hmm. to respond. Uh, but they didn't even want to do that. Mm. So <laughs> this is so preliminary. Wow. And, in, and the problem, and you haven't asked me that question, but I have to say, mm -hmm. um, when there is a split, 
at the commission, mm-hmm. which there, when I was on the commission, it was always 3-3, three, three. Mm-hmm. the courts have said that the controlling commissioners, that is, the ones who didn't want anything to happen because nothing did happen, mm-hmm. uh, were the the um, winners, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are supposed to do a statement, which they did in this case, saying, as you indicated, that uh, Cohen, well, they didn't say specifically Cohen, mm-hmm. but that it was a race, waste of resources. Um, and, you know, as a result, uh, that wanting to do nothing is exactly how the Republican commissioners have always been able to assure that the commission doesn't do what it is supposed to do to make elections and the electoral process fair and to make sure that there's total disclosure of campaign finance activities, which this is clear. Well, it it certainly seems clear, and I want to talk uh, a little bit in a moment about the, that structural defect, as I see it with the FEC. But mm-hmm. you mentioned that uh, statement from the Republicans uh, who voted against taking action here, saying that uh, Michael Cohen had already been dealt with by the DOJ, and so uh, I guess they decided, oh, we're we're not needed here. But Donald Trump is the guy who directed the conspiracy. He has faced no accountability from the Department of Justice or from anybody else. What am I missing here? Is this normally, oh, we would take care of, uh, make sure that the uh, the, the lawyer, uh, he's not, he wasn't even the campaign lawyer, I guess he was uh, Trump's personal lawyer, the, the, the FECO uh, will take care of that, the lawyer has been taken care of, therefore we need no further action. I mean, is there anything even plausible in their explanation for not moving forward uh, in this uh, slam dunk case? Yes. Um, I think you're right to say that it's a slam dunk case, and in particular because the general counsel said it was knowing and willful, which it clearly was. Mm -hmm. And knowing and willful is the criminal standard. And so that may be an alert to the Justice Department that they need to now go forward and prosecute the case. But Mm -hmm. I also think, I mean, what... They, they quoted a case called Heckler in which they said, you know, this is, this is um, our prosecutorial discretion that it's going to be too expensive and makes no sense. It's a waste of resources. But actually, uh, there could be an appeal of this decision because that case they're talking about says specifically that when the agency consciously and expressly adopts a policy that is so extreme Mm -hmm. that it represents an aberration of its statutory responsibility, the courts can review it. And that's what should happen here as well. So somebody needs to take it to a court to to make that request. Well, and it could be potentially the people who um, filed the complaint, which was Common Cause. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, I hope Common Cause uh, does take action here. If they don't, I'm I'm also going to run to our friends at Free Speech for People. I'm sure they'll be happy to take this one up, frankly, if they haven't already. Uh, Ann Ravel, um, former Federal Elections Commissioner, if, if, if the FEC is this broken, and I think you and I have discussed it before on the show, um, you know, if the GOP appointees are always going to vote to protect Republicans— 
It obviously seems the FEC is, for all intents and purposes, kind of a joke at this point. But, Anne, has it always been this way since the FEC was formed, this 3-3 structure? Uh, it has been around for a while, hasn't it? Have the Republicans always basically voted against uh, anything that might look bad for Republicans, or is this a fairly new development? It is a relatively new development, and I know this from speaking with Trevor Potter, Mm -hmm. who, as you may know, he uh, is the head of um, Campaign Legal Center Mm -hmm. and was a commissioner and chair at the FEC. And And a good Republican. Republican, exactly. And he uh, is disconcerted by what he has seen, and because... He actually believes in the integrity of the electoral system. What? And when, (laughs) I know, shocking, isn't it? And when he was on the commission, he said that they almost never deadlocked. And what I'm told is that it began to deadlock when Don McGahn, who, as you may remember, Mm -hmm. was general counsel for uh, uh, the president. White House counsel, yeah. Yeah, White House counsel yeah. uh, for Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, he apparently made a deal with Mitch McConnell mm. that he could appoint three commissioners, all of whom, because there were vacancies, mm-hmm. three Republican vacancies, uh, who he could appoint, and McGahn would be chair of the uh, FEC, mm-hmm. and he would make sure that they always voted as a block. And that is exactly what happened. Well, now the Democrats are calling for a new structure uh, for the FEC, frankly, not a moment too soon. Uh, a five-person structure, as I understand it, in the For the People's Act, uh, which Republicans are already, I hate to say it, but they're already out there lying about it. Here's Missouri Senator... um, Roy Blunt on NBC's Meet the Press in late March, lying about this uh, new reform that's in uh, H.R. 1. And I should also note, uh, just because Chuck Todd always does this, uh, after Roy Blunt made this statement, apparently uh, Chuck Todd did not bother to correct him. Let me play it for you, and then we'll, we'll get your thoughts. There's a partisan FE's Federal Elections Commission where for the first time ever, instead of being an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, it's three of one side and two of the other. So uh, instead of uh, three of one side and two of the other, the For the People Act, as I understand it, calls for, yes, a five-person commission with no more than two people from any one party on the commission. But Blunt, representing Republicans here, I guess, calls that three to two against them. Your thoughts on the proposed new structure in H.R. 1 and and Blunt's apparent lie about it. Right. Well, clearly, uh, to call it partisan is incorrect. And clearly, what the uh, FEC is now has turned into a clearly partisan Mm -hmm. agency and that decisions are being made uh, uh, only on party lines for the benefit of the party, Mm -hmm. the Republican Party. So that makes no sense. A five-member commission would also include one person who is a chair that is appointed by the president. Um, And that could be a Republican president. It could be a Democratic president Mm -hmm. that appoints 
the uh, chair. And the positive about how, what they have proposed in H.R. 1 is that there would be a Blue Ribbon Commission consisting of law professors, federal, former federal judges, uh, people who actually believe in the law and enforcement of the law, who would be nominating particular and reviewing particular mm -hmm. individuals uh, to be on the commission who would abide by the law. Mm. And that is key to making the change, to have people who are not beholden to a particular political party who would independently look at the law and make decisions consistent with what the legal requirements are. And because right now the the six person commission is essentially um, three that are, are are selected by the the party apparatchik, I guess in 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 right. Congress. Is that how that works on on both sides? Yes, it is. Uh, for the it is for the most part. And as I think I might have mentioned to you when I was on the commission, mm -hmm. uh, everybody except me had actually worked for the party or worked on the hill. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so there were no people uh, other than than me. I worked at the I was at the Fair Political Practices Commission, mm -hmm. um, who uh, were not in some way connected to the party, uh, which uh, has many people uh, has led many people to say that it is um, a captured agency. Yeah, if in fact uh, these, the, as I understand the the proposal in HR one and the For the People Act, uh, anyone who is nominated, I guess, must not have worked for either a uh, a, a political campaign or a, an elected official for X number of years before they are named uh, to the FEC. If that was, if if the For the People Act was somehow able to miraculously overcome the Senate filibuster. That is blocking it right now. Um, would the perform uh, the, the reforms proposed for the FEC? Uh, would they correct the problems that you observed while serving as a commissioner and its its chair? Yes, it would go a long way to making a difference and making sure that people were actually making decisions based on the legal requirements uh, in the particular cases. There, the For the People Act also uh, talks about the problem that I mentioned to you earlier mm -hmm. about uh, when there's a split, that it, the courts would have to consider that to be that the ones who didn't want anything to be done as the sort of winners mm -hmm. and the others as the losers, and they're trying to address that problem as well because courts need to have independent authority to actually uh, review the actions mm. when they are particularly improper as the one that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, it sure is. And of course, it's just one of many. It's a high profile one, uh, but it's also such a blatantly obvious one that I cannot believe even the FEC here had the 
uh, the guts to just drop it. Uh, nah, we don't need to do anything here. But amazingly, they did, hope, hoping that a private party like Common Cause steps in or even better, the DOJ steps in because then we might see some criminal consequences as opposed to just a fine. Uh, Ann Ravel, always great speaking with you. Really appreciate your insight here today. Uh, we, we, we may give you another shout as this uh, if this moves forward. I hope it does. Uh, and for any other reason, I'm always delighted to have you here. Ann Ravel is the former Federal Elections Commission chair. She's also the former chair of the California Fair Political Practices Commission. She can be found on the Twitters at Ann M. Ravel. That's R-A-V-E-L. And really appreciate your time with us here today. Thank you so much. And I thank you for uh, giving a shout out to what is now S1, uh, because Mm, it's really crucial that that passes. Yes, it is. H.R. 1 is now S1 because it's over in the Senate. Thank you so much, Anne. Really, really appreciate it. Take take care. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, we got to uh, take a quick break here. And, uh, you know, it, I, I want to hopefully I'll have some time. I have some words, a few thoughts. You have, I have some a thoughts? few things. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. About what's going on in Arizona, uh, which we've been covering for the past couple of weeks. Uh, there was an amazing article this weekend in The Washington Post. I don't blame you if you didn't read it. It's about 8,500 words. It took me a good hour to get through it, but it was really amazing. Uh, but if you have questions about, well, the Federal Elections Commission, take well, take those as well. But if you've got questions about the post-election audits that are currently underway in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where these right-wingers are certain that Joe Biden's certified win in the state over Donald Trump was due to either theft by the voting systems company named Dominion uh, and or 40,000 fraudulent ballots from China flown into Maricopa County under the cover of night and included in the results somehow. Uh, if you got questions on that, uh, I'll try to take them. 818-985-5735. As I noted, I got a few more points I want to discuss about all of this today and about the upcoming similar but completely different audit That's about to begin uh, of the uh, November 2020 state uh, representatives race in Wyndham, New Hampshire, which I detailed a little bit on uh, on our Friday broadcast uh, at the end of the week. I think it was Friday. My number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Let's take a quick break and we will be back with much more on the broadcast as the accountability continues or at least as we try to make sure that happens. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like, or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. 
From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. We'll be back soon. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last week we played a clip on this show that was posted irresponsibly, in my opinion, by CBS 5 in Arizona from inside the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum, where a right-wing group from Florida named the Cyber Ninjas has, uh, which has no experience whatsoever in elections or voting systems, where they are currently carrying out a so-called forensic audit of 2.1 million ballots that were cast last November in Maricopa County, in uh, Arizona for president and U.S. Senate. Both races, by the way, they're looking at were the ones that Democrats won for the first time in Arizona in decades. Now, Joe Biden was certified to have won the election in the state by a little over 10,000 votes or a little under one half of one percent. So I have no no problem, uh, you know, double checking things, triple checking things, quadruple checking things if anybody wants The results in this case were certified by the Republican governor of the state, the Democratic secretary of state, and in Maricopa, that's Phoenix, uh, which accounts for about two-thirds of all the votes cast in the state, uh, it was certified by the five-person Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, which has four Republicans on it and one single Democrat. Still, Republicans are certain that they won in Arizona. The head of Cyber Ninjas has promoted evidence-free charges that the election was stolen from Trump nationally, not just in Arizona. And he, guy by the name of Doug Logan, is now in charge of this really bizarre audit of the 2.1 million hand-marked paper ballots that were cast in Maricopa. Um in which the uh, GOP-controlled state Senate in the state has ordered the Maricopa County supervisors to hand over control of all of those ballots to this private group for an at least partially taxpayer-funded audit. But the ninjas have blocked out much of the media, much of the public oversight, and they have made no effort whatsoever to allow the public to oversee the ongoing tallies as they continue now into, I think it's the third week. Now, last week I reported that the ninjas' own procedures documents released by court order after they had tried to claim that they were trade secrets, this publicly funded audit of... Actual ballots, you know, should be protected by trade secrets. Anyway, that document reveals that their procedures allow them to change a minimum of 42, a minimum of 42,000 votes without ever setting off any alarm bells whatsoever in their process. Remember, Joe Biden won the state by a little more than 10,000 votes. In short, while audits are fine by me, no matter who wants to make sure that election results are reported accurately, no matter how much those people may have been misinformed and hoaxed, as is the case here, 
these audits, they need to be done fully publicly. Ballots need to stay in control of taxpayer-funded election officials for secure chain of custody's sake. And, uh, you know, therefore, what is going on right now in Phoenix is a joke. Well, we played this clip. Uh, the, the, the public got some idea of that joke that I had been warning about for several weeks. Finally, last week, the public got an idea when this clip uh, featuring a friend and longtime uh, a colleague, longtime Democratic election integrity and transparency expert John Brakey, who was trying to help oversee the audit, uh, this clip was released out of context by CBS 5 in Phoenix. And when I say out of context, I mean, well, without the 30 seconds that followed it, that add a whole bunch of context to it. Here, here's the clip that most people saw. The other day at the press conference, you were talking about bamboo. What was that about? Well, is that there's accusations that 40,000 ballots were flown in. To Arizona? Into Arizona, and it was stuffed into the box, okay? And it came from the southeast part of the world, Asia, okay? And, uh, and what they're doing is to find out if there's bamboo in the paper. That camera right there, that they take a picture of the ballot, if you... They can really look at depth and find out, is it a hand-marked paper ballot? Because it, it, it's a 5K camera. You can see the folds in the ballot because 92% of all the ballots here should have been folded because they came in through an envelope, okay? And so they're doing all sorts of testing to prove if it was or wasn't, and that's very important because the only way you can persuade people on changing is having facts. And we're on a mission for facts. And I'm Audit Elections USA. And what we do is not about the right or left. Audit is an acronym. It stands for Americans United for Democracy, Integrity, and Transparency in Elections. We've been around 17 years. Uh, we work all over the country for the last five years. I'm in litigation in Florida. Uh, I've sued in Alabama. I negotiated in Virginia. I sued in Ohio. And I've been in 18 states. Just working elections. And I all started because of the Bernie Sanders election in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. I'm the guy who sued the whole state. So that clip uh, has brought all sorts of attacks on John. Uh, I, I spoke with him again over the weekend, checking in to see how he's doing. He's doing fine, but all sorts of attacks on John, you know, as some sort of a, a right-wing QAnon conspiracy theorist. Um, and in truth, uh, he's the only one in that coliseum with actual election experience, actual election auditing experience in the entire arena. And notably, uh, these attacks have come from idiots like Keith Olbermann, who retweeted that clip from Dennis Welch, the political editor of CBS 5 in Arizona. Uh, and and uh, Olbermann described Brakey uh, by name as a, quote, old, stupid, racist, moronic uh, MFR, I can't say that, uh, who needs to be institutionalized and along with the entire crowd of Trump QAnon white trailer park trash with him, said Keith Olbermann. Of course, had Olbermann bothered to view the very next clip in Dennis Welch's feed, even though Welch didn't post it for like 20 minutes later, he should have included these 30 seconds in the same clip since it was the very next sentence from this very same interview in which Brakey said this. What does the bamboo, why, why do you check for because bamboo? Because they use bamboo in their paper processing. Who's they? Uh, people in Southeast Asia. 
so that you feel like that's 40, what they say 40,000 ballots have been yeah I don't believe any of that okay. I'm just saying that is part of the mystery that we want to ungaslight people about and this is a way to do this it this is part of what you're looking at for. I'm not they are wow. I'm here as an observer in a professional in elections for the last 17 years so he doesn't believe any of it. No, he's not a racist, moronic, white trailer park trash QAnon believer, Mr. Oberman, sir. He doesn't believe that they're going to find uh, what they're looking for, these bamboo fibers. And he's hoping, correctly or not, that it will help to ungaslight people, sir. He was explaining it. He was not supporting it. Shamefully, now, a week later, Olbermann has still not taken down that tweet attacking John Brakey by name. Even worse, Chuck Todd on Sunday's Meet the Press this weekend, days after there was already huge blowout, a blowback about misrepresenting John Brakey. Chuck Todd actually played the, only the first part of the clip, not the second, above the Chiron, John Brakey, conservative activist. Desi Doyen, he called John Brakey a conservative activist. <laughs> I know, which is about 100, 180 opposite of what Brakey actually is. Right. So, you know, Chuck Todd is as bad or arguably worse at this point than Olbermann. Anyway, on Sunday night, HBO's comedy show, the little comedy show they run on Sunday nights, because I guess uh, apparently HBO's comedy show has more news resources than NBC News and Meet the Press. They covered it this way at the end of uh, of, of John Oliver's uh, coverage of what is going on in Phoenix right now. All of this is so that they can chase down crazy conspiracy theories like this one. There's accusations that 40,000 ballots were flown in. To Arizona? Into Arizona, and it was stuffed into the box, okay? And it came from the southeast part of the world, Asia, okay? And, uh, and what they're doing is to find out if there's bamboo in the paper. Why do you check for because bamboo? Because they use bamboo in their paper processing. Who's they? Uh, people in Southeast Asia. Wow. Southeast Asians attempted to sway the 2020 election in Arizona via bamboo ballots. Sounds like something your drunkest uncle would say before passing out at his niece's sixth birthday party. And look, that is obviously nonsense. And in fairness to that man, he doesn't believe any of it. He runs a nonprofit focused on election fairness and is volunteering, hoping that this process manages to disprove many of these crazy theories, which is a nice idea. The problem is, though, the people behind this recount aren't going to be convinced unless the results swing their way. We know this is true because, again, there have already been multiple audits conducted in Maricopa County and they weren't convinced by the results. So there you go. John Oliver on a comedy show on Sunday night on HBO gets the story right. But NBC News cannot. Was that that hard? Was it that difficult? Chuck Todd and NBC News and Meet the Press and Keith Olbermann almost a week later, none of them can get the story right? Really? Anyway, in the meantime, another audit is now coming this week in the town of Wyndham, New Hampshire, where there should be an audit, frankly, because there was an election last November 3rd for four seats in the State House of Representatives in the town with eight candidates on the ballot for Republicans, for Democrats, and the top four uh, uh, vote-getters would win seats 
in the state House of Representatives. Well, four Republicans won the top four slots and one Democrat came in fifth in that race by about 50 votes. She asked for a recount and she got one on November 12th. Uh, just a week or so after the election, when it they found out that it turned out the four Republicans in the race who won, they should have actually been recorded having about 300 more votes each. And in this case, the Democrat actually lost about 100 votes. What went on? What caused that? Well, we don't yet know. There are some theories um, but that's what an audit will hopefully turn up uh, evidence one way or another of whatever happened. The state legislature passed a new law uh, just uh, about a month or so ago to allow a forensic audit to take place. And this week that audit will begin. In this case, however, the state has actually hired experts in the field, not cyber ninjas. Actual experts? Yes, what? go figure. Now, while, by the way, I have some concerns with one of them, a guy named Mark Lindemann uh, of the nonpartisan voting system watchdog group Verified Voting. Um, but they are also bringing in the inventor of the post-election risk-limiting audit protocol, a guy by the name of Philip Stark, who we've had on the show. He's a professor at UC Berkeley. Uh, and they are also bringing in the legendary Finnish cybersecurity and voting systems expert named Hari Hursty, who has also been a longtime friend of this show and of Bradblog.com. I interviewed him in a documentary film back in 2006 called Murder, Spies and Voting Lies, which you can now watch for free in full at VotingLies.com, though it's scary. Be careful. In any event, uh, you may uh, have also heard of him uh, from HBO's documentary Hacking Democracy or its follow-up, Kill Chain, the cyber war on America's elections. But Hari is the first one to hack a Diebold optical scanner, a tabulator, just like the 20-year-old ones that they are still using, incredibly enough, in New Hampshire. So I hope to have more to say about all of this as the week goes on. Uh, I'm in touch uh, with with the folks who are working on this audit. Uh, but suffice to say, uh, from my background, reporting on what is being prepared in Wyndham, it will be a real audit with real oversight and real transparency, unlike the audit theater clown show we're currently seeing in Maricopa County, Arizona. At the same time, over the weekend... The Washington Post's Emma Brown, Aaron Davis, John Swain, and Josh Dossie published a remarkable nearly 8,500-word expose on how we got to this point where Republicans, despite the lack of really any noteworthy evidence, believe are certain that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. It is a monster of a deeply reported story that I will strongly recommend you read. If you wonder how we got to this point, in short, a GOP businessman in Texas, a guy named Russ Ramsland back in 2018, after Republicans took the, a thumping in those midterms, you may recall, he led a group named Allied Special Operations Group, or ASOG, and they tried to find a Republican candidate who had lost the election that year who was willing to challenge the results in court or demand an audit based on the idea that computers made by private voting system companies somehow tied to the dead Venezuelan president, Hugo Chavez, that part based on some of my own deep dive exclusive reporting at Bradblog.com from 2008 to 2010 on this, 
that those computers were being used to steal American elections. He could not find any takers back in 2018, but he raised and he spent a whole lot of money selling this idea that basically took a whole lot of reporting by people like Bev Harris of Black Box Voting and cybersecurity reporter Kim Zetter, myself at Bradblog, others who reported on confirmed vulnerabilities in our privatized computer voting and tabulation systems. And he took that evidence of vulnerabilities and turned it somehow magically into evidence of actual fraud happening in elections, which is a pretty huge leap to make, especially when you are charging without evidence that it happened in a presidential election. It's a, it's a rather amazing report. It's very well done, basically explaining how the right took all the work that many of us on the non-right uh, did all the vulnerabilities that we exposed for years as the voting machine companies themselves lied about them or tried to hide those vulnerabilities and then took that information about vulnerabilities themselves as proof of fraud, that the election was stolen, that the vulnerabilities were all exploited, not just that they existed, but they were all exploited to steal the election from Donald Trump. And of course, Trump you know, himself was very happy to buy all this nonsense hook, line and sinker because he was desperately willing to entertain any claim uh, or anybody with any explanation as to why he lost, no matter the lack of evidence to support the claims, all of which, of course, underscores my own personal crusade for so many years on this beat. Not that elections were or are being stolen as a matter of fact, you'll be hard pressed to find me ever charging that an election uh, has been stolen with a, a computer. But the fact that they can be and frankly, fairly easily at that, given the many vulnerabilities of these crappy systems, which are run by private companies with secret soft, uh, software and taxpayer money and are virtually impossible for the public to oversee to make sure that the results are recorded as per voter intent. And that alone, the fact that they can be exploited, not necessarily that they are, is what I have tried and tried to explain, has long represented in and of itself a grave threat to democracy because people can justifiably claim fraud where none exists even in a perfectly accurate and secure election. But if the public cannot know that the election has been perfectly accurate and secure, and that's the problem with these systems, that alone can undermine elections and confidence in democracy. And that is exactly what I have been warning about and for almost 20 years now. And now we are seeing my nightmare scenario play out. Democracy can be undermined with these systems whether or not an election is actually stolen by them. That's what happens when you deploy systems that cannot be overseen by the public. The door is opened to exactly what we are now seeing, and there is no real way to dispute or refute claims like this, particularly when the people making the claims are doing so in bad faith as is the case with the Republican Party right now. This alone ought to be enough to move the nation to the gold standard for democracy, which is hand-marked, paper ballots, hand-counted, publicly, on election night, at each precinct, in front of everyone. 
all the parties, the public, the video cameras, etc., with results posted at each precinct before ballots are moved anywhere. You know, I have been asking for this for a long time, and this nation has been asking for this disaster for a long time. And well, now we got it. 818-985-5735 if you want to ring in on this, if I've got time left. I've heard some complaints from some of my own longtime followers or listeners who think I suddenly don't care about election fraud because it's affecting Republicans, not Democrats, which is absurd. I've spent years going to bat for one Republican candidate after another when they have gotten screwed by the system. Their supporters have a right to know if they won or lost or not. So do Donald Trump's even though he's lying to them about it. But my point here is that anybody, uh, anybody uh, who has had an election stolen from them by a voting system or who thinks that they have, I, I'm happy to support. I don't know that I've ever claimed that anybody ever has been uh, ripped off by one of these systems, but we can't know that because we are using systems that are absolutely vulnerable to secret manipulation, whether they are manipulated or not. And that has always been a grave threat to democracy. And now we are seeing that warning play out before our eyes. And yes, it's a nightmare. It's my nightmare come true. It's all of our nightmares. It's exactly what I've been warning about for almost 20 years. Quick break and we're back with the call or two if we have time. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Okay. I screwed up. I ran long, as usual. Go figure. So let me see if I can get in uh, one or two incredibly quick calls, about 10 seconds each. Mike in Los Angeles, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Sorry about that. And Mark, paper ballots are not susceptible to the sort of uh, manipulation we've seen in the Atlantic uh, Coast fuel line. And mm-hmm. at the same time, we noticed that uh, Republicans in the Federal Elections Commission and in Arizona are no longer ashamed to appear to be in uh, corrupted. They are almost bragging about it. A ninja is someone who comes in covertly and changes things yep. without the knowledge of the people whose domain it is. Well said, Mike. I appreciate that. My apologies to Morris that I couldn't get to him. My thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me an email on bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. See you there until we see you here tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.